0: Welcome to episode 42 of Bulak. This is Ursula Lindsay and with me is Marsha links Quayle, and also a special guest for this episode, Yasmina Zohdi, who we'll be introducing more fully in a few minutes. Um, We are super excited to be starting the new year, starting the new season, recording an episode in Cairo. Uh, In fact, in the back room of a friend's apartment in Cairo, (laughs) Uh, so if you hear a little bit of noise of traffic or of birds, uh, that's just the price you have to pay for an episode recorded out in the field. Uh, and, um, but anyway, we're very happy to be in Cairo. It's a city where Marsha and I lived, uh, and that's very close to our hearts. Uh, we were both here in 2011 during the Arab Spring Obviously, today, the circumstances in Egypt are very, very far from what they were then. Um, uh, so we're in a context uh, that is quite repressive uh, ever since uh, the current military regime took power back in 2014. And um, we're seeing you know, mass arrests, mass human rights abuses, uh, very little tolerance for dissent, um, and for mobilization, really, not just of, of Islamists, but of civil society in general and, and political forces. Uh, and yet, within that context, um, people and people projects that are very interesting uh, are still soldiering on. And uh, that brings us to Yasmin, <laughs> <laughs> Who is still soldiering on, apparently. So um, I...
1: I I came to know Yasmeen because I wanted to. So, Yasmeen is a writer, translator, and culture editor at Madama So I came to know Yasmeen because I wanted a story uh, by Mohammed Al Hajj um, in the uh, in Arabic Quarterly magazine. And I had put out some kind of tweet like, oh my gosh, I really want the story. Who wants to translate it? And I did get about. Um, 12 different people immediately emailing me saying, me, me, it's mine, mine. But um, Yasmin sort of made the <laughs> the most persuasive case um, being married to the author. And also when she turned, you know, it's the, the sort of beautiful work that when somebody mails it to you, you, you want to weep because, um, you know, whatever, as an editor of a publication, you get a Range of of things that you work on with with authors and and that feels good too. One always likes to help an author make their work the best, but then sometimes you get something in the mail that's that comes absolutely beautiful just the way it is. Um, and that's how I came to know Yasmin, and I absolutely delighted to know her. So, um, at, also um, a talented writer and thinker about culture and what culture means, what cultural criticism is, um, uh, at, at how you practice culture under difficult circumstances. And uh, and so thank you so much
2: for being here. Mm, thank you for such a great introduction, really. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad to be recording this episode with you guys. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: And so, uh, Ursula, maybe you could talk about so that this essay that we read and which first gave us the idea that we wanted to have Yasmin on the show.
0: Yeah. In addition to, we really loved um, that uh, translation of the excerpt of um, of your husband's book um, that was titled "Nobody Cares." Nobody
1: mourns the city's cats.
0: Nobody mourns the city's cats. Um, which we like raved about in a previous episode. Like it was really um, a discovery for me. Uh, I listened to it. It was a great episode. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And then we also both really loved this essay that you wrote um, recently. And so um, I wanted to, for those of our listeners who haven't read it, and we all encourage you all to go and read it as soon as you can. Um, uh, I wanted to sort of go through some of the ideas in this essay. And the title is pulled from the uh, quote by a Sudanese writer. Is that right?
2: Um, it's. Uh, it was inspired by the film um, talking about trees, which um, the title of which is actually taken from a verse um, by uh, Bertolt Brecht, um, which is referenced by one of the characters in the film. So it's a bit of a... <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah.
0: A rich path for this yeah. idea to have to, to travel down, right? Yeah, yeah. and and c- sorry, c- can you remind me of the quote exactly? You know, I tried to pull up the article before we so, started, and yeah. Couldn't, and that, um, so that, that it? So yeah,
2: I mean, so the article is titled "What We Talk About When We Talk About Trees," um, and the the verse itself is um, from the poem called um, "To Those Who Follow in Our Wake." Um, and it basically says there are different, uh, translations for the poem from the German, but what it basically says is what, what times are these when a conversation about trees is almost a crime because, um, it involves, um, so, uh, silence about so much wrongdoing, something along those lines. So, yeah, so it's basically about, <laughs> um you know times like such um you know challenging times when um so many um horrific things are happening um and brecht i think as a poem was as a poet was talking about um i mean his own his own challenge as a as a as a writer who um who would normally like talk about nature and talk about trees and talk about things but he feels that to talk about this at a moment like that which is it was written um I think with the start of the second world war so talking about such things at a time like that uh just felt wrong
0: yes that 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 sort of art Cannot not acknowledge or cannot sort of t- turn turn in on itself or turn away from the horrors of 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 the of the world. And you open the essay talking about uh, some particular moments of what you call dissonance, mm-hmm. um, where you're trying to like experience uh, culture, whether it's in an, uh, sh- an art gallery show or a movie, and at the mm-hmm. same time, like what's happening outside uh, in in the world. Is sort of not allowing you, or or is just like interfering? Maybe in a maybe in a necessary way, maybe in in a good way with the kind of like artistic experience, which which sometimes takes itself out of the out of the world. So I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about this idea of like dissonance.
2: Yeah, I mean. Um... Uh, yeah, the, the, it, the piece that starts with the, you know, the, I, I was in the Guna Film Festival. Um, I was supposed to be covering it um, for Mada. Um, and uh, we were watching a, a film while the um, September 20th protests were, you know, happening on the streets of Cairo and Alexandria and elsewhere in Egypt. Um, and I was basically sitting there in the theater. Um, we were waiting for the film to start. Um, and I just couldn't stop looking at my phone and I couldn't help but feel that I just felt miles and miles away from what was happening. Um, because um technically I'm in Egypt, but nothing around me nothing around me, um, reflects what is actually happening, you know, um, on the, what was actually happening on the streets in that moment. Uh, everything just felt so detached and I was, you know, sort of in that, uh, stuck in that tug you know between watching the film which was a beautiful tw- it was a beautiful film it was called you will die at 20 this is another Sudanese film um and you know just following the protests and what was happening uh, and I just realized that this has happened to me so many times over the past two years where I would be you know exposed to a certain work of art um and and just can't react I can't respond to it because it just doesn't speak to where I'm at right now um, or to my reality right now, which is perfectly fine. Um, I mean, when it comes to art, sometimes one goes to art particularly to escape reality. But I I do that a lot. But in certain moments, um, reality is just too compelling. And I just can't, like, I can't, I can't, um, break free from it, and in that moment, I feel like it is necessary to have art that challenges reality and to to help us break free of reality. But it is also necessary to have art that speaks to us about our, our realities in a different way and in an imaginative way, and just to speak to us about things, to speak to us about things that we don't know, but also about things that we know. Things that we know very well, but just, you know, that it's just that feeling of relating to something. And I just couldn't, I could no longer um, feel it. And I just want to say that this um, this piece actually started, um, I was having a conversation with uh, Lina Atala, who is our editor-in-chief in Madam Asr. And I was telling her that I was really... We were discussing our coverage of the cultural scene and the section and all of that. I was telling her that I'm just really disillusioned with the scene and with everything that is happening. Um, <clears throat> and I just feel like as, I, I wasn't it was a challenging moment for me. It was a tough moment. So I was telling her that it, it just feels a little dead to me and I don't know how to interact with that. Yeah. I don't know how to engage with that. And so she was telling me, okay, so I mean like we... like we went on discussing it and then she said I feel like the best thing we could do right now is that you could just sit down and try to reflect on your feelings like write an introspective thing where you acknowledge these feelings and try to like um, work your way through them and it's gonna be like you don't even have to think of it being published let's just do it as an exercise where you do that and then just take a look and then we can discuss it again afterwards. And yeah, and this is how it started. So I was doing it as this exercise, um, mostly, uh, because I was at that moment where I just felt disillusioned and I could not engage with the scene. Uh, at, At a time where the scene, the cultural scene, like the people practicing art in this place, in this moment in time, were a main inspiration for me over the past, particularly since 2013, Um, and I don't think, like, with everything happening in Egypt at the time, um, and the very heavy defeat we were feeling, um, that year after what happened, uh, with Rabah and everything, um, I think it it was also the year that I first started to focus in my work, um, on arts and culture, uh, in journalism, and, uh, And and if it weren't for, like, the artists I met and spoke to the artists and the writers and the curators and the programmers and all of that, I don't think I would have, you know, been able to make it in Cairo um, in the years that followed. So the cultural scene, everything happening on it, and the perseverance of people working in this sector here has been crucial um, for me, like, being able to function in Cairo uh, over this past period. So to feel... That I'm no longer able to engage with that was just really disappointing um yeah, so this is how it started, so I was talking to Lena, and she said, let's do that uh and I did it and i and and the the way it start, the 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 piece at first it started from a place of um disappointment, maybe a bit of anger and disillusionment, as I said, but then as I <clears throat> went on writing um it started to take on um, more compassion. I just started to feel a lot more compassion towards, um, towards the scene, towards the people working on it, towards myself. And I feel this is eventually where, um, and this is eventually, I think, the tone that it took that I started to just write from a place where, okay, so I'm facing these challenges myself um, and we're all facing them. And what can we do? I think one of the things that's
1: interesting to me, both about the piece and what you're saying, is generally when we talk about sort of engaged art or art for the sake of art as these kind of two opposing camps, we're thinking about it in terms of someone making a personal choice. Like I'm making a choice to make engaged art or I'm making a choice to only write about flowers. But on the other hand, like from what you're saying and from other artists I've interviewed, nobody has actually spoken about it personally as a choice. Mm-hmm. They've spoken about, like I, I talked to the uh, Syrian poet, who lives in Sweden now and who I, I think gets some sort of commentary from Swedish poets about, you know, who do write about flowers, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, and he said, he just, he, yeah, that's, he can't write about flowers. actually maybe in 20 years he can write about flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of whether you're making engaged art or whether you can engage with, you know, sort of art that's completely doing something else, whether, whether you can respond to it, that it's not an, act, uh, an active choice necessarily. Mm-hmm. Or it's one of a constellation of choices, maybe.
2: Yeah.
1: N- that if you want to be present, mm-hmm. you can't also be absent at the same time.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I definitely think that there does not have to be a distinction there. Um, And I think this is sort of what I was trying to say in the piece or what I discovered as I was writing, because I really had no idea where this piece was going um, as I wrote it. Um, But I feel, yeah, well, the idea is, or like, I saw the, like, Talking about trees in in the context of that poem or in the context of that film um, um, was is, is portrayed sort of as a form of withdrawal uh, you know from public life or like engaging with what's happening around us um, but for me it's it can be used as a like we can talk about trees but as a way of talking about something else because if i talk about trees um in my life from my own perspective uh like honestly like how i perceive um whatever it is you know like the trees or whatever is then then there's going to be something there that resounds and that uh that touches um what i'm going through and therefore what someone else is going through and and I think that's it. But for me, the argument was, okay, like if we can't di- directly engage with what's happening around us, then, let, then let's look inside and write about that or, or create something that has to do with that or work on that. But like also go to the, like also focus on the borders between what's inside and what's outside. Like if we're not going to engage completely with what's outside, then okay, let's just stay at this border. like like start from inside and stay at this border where they both intersect because that border is just really rich and this is what it comes down to Um, and like I don't want to I don't want to well, what, what, you, you were going to ask something, so go
0: ahead. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Well, no, I was going to say that I think it's really a, a lovely piece of writing and one that, like, made my day, honestly, the day I read it. Like, it just kind of, and it, you say you don't know where it was going. I didn't know where it was going as a reader, and you really feel the, like, movement of thought through it. Like, someone is, like, working their way through through ideas. Um, and I think it's strong because it it. It raises the question, of course, there is no answer, or the answer has to be specific to each work of art. Like, mm-hmm. should you, how much, in what way, acknowledge the context in which you're making this, um, the the context in which it's being watched, uh, you know, the elephant in the room, is, as you call it in the piece, uh, like, it's like, it's like, just good to have the awareness of that, mm-hmm. I think. And obviously, there is no like sweeping, you know, answer. Like, oh yes, all artists should be like explicit or political engaged. Oh, you know, no, since you can't, or you know, uh, you should art for art's sake. Like, clearly, it's 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 about the just the the constant engagement with that very question, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it has to you 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 sort of see it work by work, you know, whether someone manages. Mm Uh, in what is, like, a really uh, difficult environment, not just, I think, difficult because you sort of uh, don't know what to say because you're sort of silenced by your own maybe hopelessness sometimes, uh, and then because you're silenced by a lot of, like, practical questions of, like, you know, how to share your work, what your who your audience is, like... Um, you know what kind of space you can even exhibit it in um and that's another thing that you talk about in the in the in the piece is is the constriction of just platforms and spaces and venues for people to try stuff out Mm -hmm, exactly um at a low cost just you know see what works for them and for others um, maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Um, I mean, we're both really lovers of downtown, and I think downtown, specifically as a neighborhood in Cairo, has lost a lot of its cultural venues.
2: Yeah, it's it's really
0: years. changing.
2: Um, yeah, I I just want to go back for a second to something you were saying. yet, yeah, like uh, about the fact the that there's no answer to the question of whether we should engage or not. But there definitely is it, and and I think I I view it as a burden that we have to deal with here, that we have to even ask that question, that we don't have like this absolute freedom to just create whatever. Uh, I, 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 I felt it as a burden as a, as a person, you know, like receiving or consuming or experiencing art. Um, and I think it must be a burden to any artist working in this context to even to like to have to think so much about um, its value within such a context. Um, and well then so. So, and, and
1: I contrary I was, I feel as a disappointment in people who are at the center of Empire mm-hmm. and who don't think about those things you know who do just go about creating their art without mm-hmm. thinking about their context mm-hmm. or the context of their actions or about all these other questions that you're thinking about so why is this okay responsibility is the wrong word but why why aren't these other artists um Asking
0: themselves these questions as well, right? You had this. You had this reaction when we talked about this earlier, and I think it's a really valid point. Is how come, like an American artist, for example, it might not even occur to them the tension between, like, how do they put into their work the entire context of, you know. Uh, American imperialism or, or racism or all the forms of injustice or of oppression of like planet killing, like all the terrible things, because it's not just the world is like not in a good place generally. Right. It's not, it's not just here. It's because you're not being as directly negatively impacted often in, in, in the West. But yes, why is it um, that, uh, that that one has, you know, seemingly the freedom to, like, not engage at all with those things. There's no call, really, no strong call. I mean, I think there s- some works do, but it's certainly not something that people agonize over. Yeah,
1: it's definitely kind of a minority report. I remember uh, being in a class, a, a poetry class, or a nonfiction—anyway, a class— and reading two poems, one was by Carolyn Forché, and one was by someone else. And the in, the instructor of the class felt that Carolyn Forché, like pretending that she's so like worried about Iraq or whatever, was like um, put a uh, put on or something. Whereas you know, I, I related to that work far more. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that some I this is something that troubles me, like. Mm-hmm this is all of our shared planet why yeah. why aren't we all what what the hell is wrong with the rest of us
2: i don't know it's <laughs> weird i mean <laughs> i mean it's just a it's a it's a very big question and i mean you can apply it to to so much even outside the art world and um but yeah but um i was just thinking of something else that a, a friend of mine um he 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 is also working in the in the in the field is a uh, filmmaker um, who um, after reading the, the piece he spoke to me and he, he brought up something that I think is very interesting as well. And about, about acknowledging context, not just in the content itself of what you're working on, but maybe like, even if it's not in the content at all, but in the way in, in, in the means of production themselves, like how you produce that work and in, the your aesthetic choices uh themselves like how they how they engage how how um how they engage with the context or how uh how you can make them specific to to where you are to the place you come from to the things you're dealing with so that even if you are working on something that's abstract um you know content wise you can you can still make it somehow relate to where you are in how you make it, and in the choices, in the like the very aesthetic choices that you make in that um, in that work, regardless of content. Mm-hmm. So there are many and many ways to engage. Um, yeah, and I think like it, and it reminded me of that quote. That's very it's a very, very famous quote by uh, uh, Jean Luc Godard that says um, something about not like not making political films necessarily, but making films politically. Mm. You know, like right. the difference between both.
0: Because because of course we've all seen work that um, you know, you can't like you can't sort of stuff all the every 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 issue and everything of concern and every problem into your work. And it's such a fine line and again I think it's sort of when when something that is quite politically explicit works and when it feels like heavy-handed or obvious or very sort of or yeah and I mean I would say the other thing that's a part of engagement and I think is is very difficult here right now is just being able then to take your work to the public mm-hmm. um, uh, you know Marsha's here in Cairo for this conference on on uh, popular culture in Egypt and I attended a bit of it and someone was mentioning this uh, widely regarded and awarded Egyptian film Yomedin mm-hmm. Which I haven't seen, um, but they were saying that it just got a very limited distribution here, and and very few people saw it. But then it, it was uh, screened in like uh, for free in a provincial theater somewhere, and you know it's a kind of as I understand it a, a harsh story set in a rural setting, and and people were like people said it's the first time we see ourselves on screen. Um, and I, I do believe in that kind of, I do think that like um, artists who sort of want to make work that that shows people to themselves and then they get to see, you know, and they get to comment and reject or, or not, but trying to have that engagement. Um, and it reminds me of the episode we just broadcast on The Moroccan Filmmaker Ahmed. who wanted to make like a Moroccan cinema for the Moroccan people like back in the 60s and 70s and and not sort of an image of the country that was like officially acceptable or internationally acceptable he wanted a like he wanted a a cinematic language Mm -hmm. to speak to his fellow citizens Mm -hmm. and I think but that's very difficult right now because it's hard to to find ways to kind of share stuff yeah, like how do you
2: organize these kinds of things, you know, when there's no public space, basically? You want to set up a screen somewhere and have people come and watch, and it's definitely going to be regarded as something suspicious, and you're at risk. I mean, it might go by peacefully if you're lucky, but you're definitely at risk of, you know, attracting attention of authorities and having this whole thing shut down. Um, and and this happens. I mean, this happens all the time um and um you know things that uh there were many festivals or not i mean not not many festivals necessarily but there were things happening uh that took place essentially on the street like there was this uh, festival called Fan Meden shortly mm. after the revolution yeah. and there was uh, uh, you know theater troops who would you know perform uh, on the street uh, there were many things and um, that um, absolutely have no space right now uh, to happen the same way uh, and uh, I mean like even decaf uh, the the downtown contemporary arts festival when it first started it had a very uh, um, active I think it was the most interesting part of the festival actually it was this uh, um, a segment that was uh, you know public art art in public spaces where they would you know have performances and uh, and uh, different events on and, on the street um, and now it's not even happening the same way they still have that thing but it mostly i think takes place inside certain buildings so it's like open for the public and everything but it happens inside certain buildings that are you know old and being renovated right now and they're using them in different ways and they're mostly owned own, owned i think by uh <clears throat> the company that sponsors the festival um lesmalia for real estate which is uh you know i think um um a big um element in uh, or a big factor in how downtown is changing um you know or like the art scene in downtown is changing these days Uh, so yeah so i mean it's it's definitely going back to your question it's definitely different to difficult to do that grassroots kind of stuff in this environment but but I think you know maneuvering trying to maneuver and find ways to do things like that is actually the only thing we have left to do. So, I mean, it's it's risky, so I I'm not expecting like people to do that, but at the same time, I don't know what else we can do especially with the state of, you know, the cultural venues closing or like uh, being selective of what they Of what they show, due to uh, you know, um, like avoiding uh, issues with security and stuff. Uh, The state of film distribution is, you know, something that we (laughs) could have a full episode about. (laughs) You know, Uh, I mean, Din did not have wide distribution, but compared to other independent films, it had really good distribution. It was distributed in, in, um, I mean, it was commercially commercially released for one and more than one. Um, cinema, some films um, barely screen here at all, uh, or if they do, they just screen in Zawiya for like two weeks, and and that's it. They don't get any distribution elsewhere. But Yomidim, because of Cannes and you know all the international attention, it got um, it got more than that a bit. So wasn't enough, but right. it got seen by a wider audience than most independent films uh, usually get.
1: And so so one of the themes, I think, of this um, RC Symposium that I was at for the last couple of days was the kind of closing down of spaces. But another one of them was, and Yumedin was one of the ways through which this was discussed, was like the tension between production for an external audience and, and production for Egyptians, and not just in terms of film and art, but also in the whole structuring of what do museums mean? Museums are museums, something that are for tourists. And that, that's sort of an outward facing thing. And we don't have temporary exhibitions and we don't have activities at museums. It's not a space. It's not a living space where we can talk about who we are and what our history is and where we're going. It's just like a static space where somebody can come look at the mm-hmm. mask of whatever. And, 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 and the same in films and other things is, is it, are we, you know, to what extent do we feel the, you know, of course the pressure of the powerful to, you know, clean up the image of Egypt, but also sort of internally to like put it, you know, n- not
0: show our dirty laundry, etc cetera, to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just this idea of like, are you, is representation sort of is its purpose to sort of present a kind of sanitized, whether for commercial purposes, for touristic purposes, or for nationalist purposes or whatever, kind of like um, uh, really an image in the sense of an image, like a a sort of fixed ideal Mm -hmm. of of how things should be. That becomes almost like a denial of how things are in, in in its in its most extreme and and I think you talk in your essay about like all the noise and all the silence and clearly you know and clearly what's missing in between is like just having conversations like not being spoken to not being told mm-hmm. you know and 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 not having this kind of just constant Hubbub, but that actually doesn't allow anybody to say anything that's not generative
2: at all. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And like, where do you actually? And I think, you know, clearly the problem is that that conversation is unwelcome. Like, there's a bunch of people who, you know, the message is like, we don't want to hear from you. Like, yeah, yeah definitely uh, not.
2: I mean, like, conversations are happening, but
0: they're just not
2: addressing what's really important.
0: Right. And almost that cover and this again, maybe is a global phenomenon, and almost that is covers up so that you have talk, 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 but no, like, real conversation.
2: Yeah, exactly. And and that's exactly my issue with, you know, like, things like people saying that the Cairo Film Festival is so great now because they brought Terry Gilliam and they brought blah, 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 and, and, you know, all these important international guests or whatever who are holding panel discussions. But then, I mean, I just, I really don't understand what the value is of, you know, discussing certain, you know, logistical things about film or, like, even artistic things um, about film or, like, listening to the advice of all these professionals from other places, if we can't even think freely here, if we can't really write about what matters to us about our lives here. um, Yeah, and and that's my problem. Like, the conversations are happening. You can go and you can listen and you can talk, but, like, we're not addressing what's really important. Like we're talking about, you know, applying to international film festivals and and, and co-production opportunities and, and things like that. But, like, but what about censorship? What about, like, you know, getting my script off the ground to begin with? What about the self-censorship I practice when I'm writing? Because I know of the other films that have been stalled in censorship or that have not received permits to be screened or because of, you know, like many other things. So like what about that? How are we going to talk about film and about, you know, these you know, late stages in, you know, like doing a film or like even about writing advice or whatever when we have this just like very clear obstacle that no one is addressing. Right? And, and and there's no way we can we can find a way around it if we don't address its presence, if we don't acknowledge it. And that's the thing.
1: I guess so so one of the things I I thought at the symposium that was maybe illusory was I was really interested in how the discussion of the censorship of cinema was much more out in the open. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like so often we really dance around censorship in the book industry because Mm -hmm. officially there isn't any censorship in the book industry, although, yes, there is censorship Mm -hmm. in the book industry. Um, I think one can point to, for instance, Khered Lotfi, very easily and publicly, um but it but it, that it's a thing we don't talk about the mechanisms, nobody says I mean nobody I know says anything in public, it's all in in private rooms, whereas there was a pretty open dis- discussion of the mechanisms of censorship of cinema, but I guess that's a discussion with limits, yeah,
0: and because the mechanisms are maybe clear and and official and I was sort of thinking as as you were talking that also, I mean, this situation in which one discusses kind of like the workings of the system, like the sort of details, the technical details, the business side, the formal side of things, and somehow misses like some core issues of like power and the system. I mean, of course, here, the risk for actually doing it is completely different, but that dynamic mm-hmm. actually takes place in, in so many places. I mean, politically and culture, where it feels like you're sort of like, you know, uh, discussing the minute details without ever, you know, getting into the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, or like what actually happens.
2: You know, like we're we're always discussing, you know, what's on paper, like theoretically, what's supposed to happen is you go and you submit your film, and then someone's gonna respond, and uh, mm. but this is not what happens, and and that's the thing. So yeah, people are discussing, you know, like the law or the the different mechanisms of the of how censorship works here. Like you go and you submit your film, and you pay a fee, and then someone gets back to you, and blah blah blah, but. But it will not be okay if someone starts to ask questions about why a certain film was was banned or was not granted a permit, um, and why uh, why the makers or why the filmmaker was never or like the distributor or you know the team behind that film never received an official rejection from the censorship board, um, and 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 that's actually the problem. There are no standards there are no fixed standards standards as to um why or why a film will will or will not be um, accepted or granted a permit by the by the censorship board uh and and they just don't and very often they just don't give you a clear no Mm. and so there's nothing you can do about it you worked on your film and it's not going to be screened
1: i I think One of so, but I think in general, in most literary festivals around the world, or probably many film uh, festivals and workshops as well, there's such like an intense like focus on how you plot things, or improved ways to write about dialogue, or Mm -hmm. how you pitch an agent, uh, Mm -hmm. and these sorts of technical details without the essential elements of. Why are we even doing
0: this? And what kind there of is, power context were we writing or in? Or labor conditions within the industry. Yeah. Or, like, look at it, the way the American film industry, it was blown wide open a couple of years ago by, like, having, like, sexual assault and gender suddenly finally be discussed. It was obviously, like, an endemic part of the structure and something that, like, nobody had talked, you know— um yeah, I think uh, th- there are so many things that go unsaid and in and in other contexts, it's just like um conformism and social pressure and economic pressure. And then I think you know people self-censor, I, I mean, I think this uncertainty about um what you can bring up leads to a terrible like interiorizing right of of censorship. So you just, you know, um you're just not gonna, you know go to certain places and because it, you waste so much time and so much energy um, uh, trying to tell a story that then you know will feel kind of maybe squandered I mean it, it's exactly it's, it's I mean this is one
2: of the main reasons I feel that that um, that are facing you know um, that that artists find, are finding it difficult to work here today. It's not just, you know, censorship or whatever imposed from the state, but also uh, how we censor ourselves or not necessarily censor ourselves, but just, you know, put all these obstacles, um, put all these obstacles in, in, you know, ahead of us when we're just even in the process of conceptualizing a, a project or an idea, but like we're thinking... Like, my husband and I are thinking of making a film. We've wanted to make this short film for a long time that's based on a story that I wrote. Uh, And and we're just like, but how are we going to film this scene outside? Like, because the film, most of it takes place outside, like on the street. How are we going to film this? You know, and we've been thinking of this for a long time, for maybe more than a year. And eventually, like... And it's been, you know, in the back of our heads as we worked on the script and all of that. And eventually it just caught up with us. And we feel like, okay, we're probably not going to be working on this right now. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where we are at right now because, like, we just, we, we don't see a way, like, we don't really know how this can work. And... And that's the thing. I mean, you have all well, these. Well, that's sad because
1: the idea that you guys are working
2: together on a project is very <laughs> exciting to me. I mean, we're definitely going to work on something else. I mean, or or maybe this later, mm-hmm. or maybe we're going to find a way. But I mean, like, but this is a process that that happens. I mean, and it just keeps happening. And even as you're working, and even if you decide that you're going to work and you and you're working, and it's, it's there. It's it's like we we just don't know how we're going to film this, right? Like, and and. Um, yeah, and and then you also have to think, like we're gonna take the risk and we're gonna try and do this, but then we don't know how we're gonna, um, how we're gonna like where is this even gonna be screened? Is it gonna be you know how are people gonna watch it? And you have all these you know you're thinking about all these risks right later on right and the, and
1: literature is somewhat easier in that way right so
2: to yeah, distribute a definitely. book you can kind of do
1: it in more unofficial spaces and kind of hand-to-hand.
2: yeah, literature. I mean, it has its own challenges, and but for me, it, it's it's um, it's it's definitely more of a comfort zone than film because it also like what you put into it. I mean, like you you just you sit there and it's you on the page and you write, and of course it's 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 hell. It's very difficult, but at the same time, you know, like film, you, like you have a you have a crew, you have all these people that you have to work with, and it's just that it. for me, I've I've never worked on worked on a film before. I love film, and it's it's a very 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 big part of my life uh, and and for me I feel like every film that gets made successfully is sort of a miracle of some kind right. that someone you know managed to you know get these people together and create something like that it is just very like making a film is just really really complicated in, in any context mm. so when you think of you know like doing that here and, it's a, and it's, a, it's a rough scene that requires a lot of you know choreography and you know different and you know, just finding the right actors and, you know, like the is, – it, is it's just – it's a difficult, it's challenging thing. And thinking about filming it, you know, outside, you know, and that, like how do you get the permits and can we do it without permits? And, you know, it doesn't make it easier that it's a scene that involves a police officer, things like that. <laughs> I mean, so you're thinking about all of this. Right. Uh, and you're trying to write a script because you want to apply for a fund somewhere. Right. It's, so what, what made this story right to be turned into a film? Uh, cause when I wrote it, it was very, uh, I, like the way it's structured is it, it, it came to me as, you know, just a sequence of scenes. Uh, and, uh, but this is the way I, when, when I write fiction, this is how I, my mind works. Usually I just picture scenes and it's all very cinematic in my head. And this story particularly is, um, it's just one continuous, um, one one like it has this one continuous flow. You know, it starts somewhere and ends somewhere. But we're just with the with the characters um, mm. all throughout. Takes place over the span of maybe a couple of hours, um, and it just felt right. You know, to do it. Uh, it just felt like I I always envisioned it like that. Mm. That I I think in cinematic terms when I'm writing right. all the time. And then you guys wrote the script together. Uh yes, we oh. did. Yeah, and then. Yeah, but it, it definitely, it, w- it was a first draft. Mm. I mean, we applied for a couple of things, but definitely needs more work. Yeah, but I'm not sure if we're going back to it uh, anytime soon, but mm. we'll see.
1: You finished translating his whole book? Uh, Almost. Almost? Like, uh, there's one story
2: left. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But there are also a couple of stories that he translated and I edited. Oh, okay. So, so it's a bit of a, yeah.
1: An entire we're collaboration. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> I find it fascinating that, I, I mean, I think... Um, I'm a fan of my husband's okay, but definitely would never work with him on anything or we would kill each other. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, really I know quickly. what you mean. I worked with mine at magazines, like we were both editors. That that worked okay.
1: Yeah. No, I definitely would kill mine.
2: <laughs> I mean it's not always easy, you know. Uh because uh, f- like for example, I was supposed to finish this story like by the end of the year and I haven't yet. And he's like, you know, he's not saying anything, <laughs> but I can feel these vibes, you, you, you know. You like, can't you can exactly like
0: not answer his emails. <laughs> yeah. Just, like like exactly. <laughs> so like it's just Yeah. So it's just not very comfortable, but yeah. But that's cool. So yeah. so we'll we'll look we're looking forward to to reading the full book.
2: Yeah, I mean um I really I really love that book. Um and uh, and it was just I I I've, I've always been, you know, fascinated with the process of, you know, li- literary translation and um translation in general, but I o- I always felt like if I'm going to um like delve more into translation, then I would love to definitely dabble with um literary translation and i felt like that would be a good place to start i mean like my husband's collection (laughs) and he wants it to be translated anyway so okay Mm -hmm. um so yeah so it's been um i think it's been very rewarding um and uh i was very happy when uh, you published that story that um that uh, i worked on and um yeah it's just a very very uh it's very challenging but it's also very rewarding and i i really don't know if it's uh if knowing the person who wrote the text so well makes it easier or more difficult because i mean unlike unlike like other translators who are working with writers who like maybe they've never even met right uh like he's right I can, like, go and ask him, and, like, so, like, here, do you mean, like, this, or is it not, like, exactly like that, or do you, you know, and I, and I, and I mean, he's right there, but at the same time, I just feel like it's, um, it's, uh, it's scarier in a way, um, not sure why, uh, but yeah.
1: Because the stakes are higher, or...? I mean, I guess if I disappoint an author that I never have to look at again. Uh. Yeah, probably.
2: Uh, yeah, or just maybe because you just like this, this is someone you know and you love. And uh, like the, so you just, you really value like those thoughts and feelings and everything else that he put into those words. And you really, really want to. Mm. It's not and I mean of course you value the thoughts and the feelings of any author you're translating course, but yes. I mean but like it's different here like there's this intimacy and this
0: Right. Yeah. Well I don't know if it's because you're married but it's translated really beautifully. I don't know if it's because you like you know um had that sort of like um ability to to really you know uh sense like what he meant and ask him when he did but it's like really 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 beautiful. I um, I don't know. Maybe it's just because
2: I, I I really um, I also just really love this. I think I would say it's my favorite story in the collection, and um, and maybe it's just because it's very. It's also very. I mean, yes, he is my husband and everything, and it's very close to me. But it's it, it, the story itself is very close to me. Like the world um within which it happens, the the characters that inhabit it, and the uh, um, and and the way he wrote them, and the way he the way he wrote it is just um, it's all just very very close to me. Mm-hmm. So I feel um, yeah. So maybe this is why it was. Um.
1: So when you're choosing something either to translate or to publish a translation as an editor, I mean what what is it? What are you looking for? What do you think needs to be translated? Should be translated?
2: Ideally, like it. Depends on like for the for the translation series we started in Mada lately, so it's mostly literary translations. Um, but with um, sometimes I also have to pick certain um pieces that were articles that were written in Arabic, uh-huh. you know, for culture section in Arabic for example or in other websites in Arabic that we have to translate that I would like to translate for the English uh, culture section in Mada so that's a that's a different process you know picking articles and things like that because there are all these journalistic factors you know and timeliness and blah 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 and um, uh, and you think of uh, your, your audience of English readers whether this would be relevant to them or not and, you know things like that Um, but with the literary translations, well, the, the idea was that, um, to give more attention to, um, works that would not necessarily get international attention, um, um, very easily. Um, because, you know, like usually with translations, it's, um, it's a matter of Sometimes luck, and sometimes it's about like who you know or what circles you move in, and of course what you're writing about. And I feel that often the interest comes from, um, you know, like uh, whether this this um, work represents something about this place of the world. And I really feel that this shouldn't be the standard because there's so many beautiful writing that may not be, you know, that sensational or um, representative or whatever that means. Um, it, it speaks solely of the author and the author's experience and the author's language. And that's fine because it's, and I think it should be valued for its singularity and its, originality, um, as a literary work, the way any other literary work should be, you know, valued Mm. rather than what it represents or what it says about this place. Right. Like I saw
1: you chose, uh, prizes for heroes. Yeah. Um, and I think the other component of that though, is that since you've done an excerpt, I think it will be easier for it to find an audience in translation as well. So yeah, because so I'm not familiar point, with this.
0: If, this. if this is a good example, could you say a little bit about this
1: text? If I mean, if you want to as well. I mean, it's a it's a very acclaimed no, uh, Egyptian novel, but mm-hmm. also one that hasn't gotten this kind of, you know, Sheikh Zayed Book Award, International Prize for Arabic Fiction yeah. kind of yeah. boost.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Even though it's also like it's it's about the revolution. Right. In a way. Um, but the the thing is, the, the edge is that it doesn't idealize it. Or those who participated in it. Rather, it's, you could say it's very critical, you know, of... Uh, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but interesting,
1: I, I I think in a... In a more literary way, rather than a exactly like it's all from the Do point of view. Do you know what happened in Egypt in 2011? Yeah, it's not know? like that
2: at all. It's it's just like this. Um, it's a protagonist, and you know, it's all from his point of view. Um, and you know, he just it's you know, it's a dissection of where he was um, in that in that point of his life and his motives. You know, um, when it came to everything he did. Uh, Within the revolution, he was involved with the revolution, of course, very heavily, but, you know, so it's, um, it's about him, Mm. but it's also about that. Um, So. um,
1: And I think a lot of it has to do with his particular voice and the construction of him as a character rather than, yeah, the construction of what happened in Egypt. Yeah,
0: yeah. Exactly, and so d- do you do most of the translation for this translation um, series, or it's different? Not people? really. Okay. Yeah, not really.
2: That one was translated by um, by Zainab Magdi, who is a great translator. She's uh, she teaches uh, English literature at Cairo University. Yeah, and uh, yeah, she's a brilliant translator. So she did that, and we published two other installments so far. The first one was from. Um, um the novel The Ways of the Lord by Shady Leees. Oh, yeah. Oh. And it was uh, uh, translated by Lina Nasena and another one, uh, the last one was From the Commandments by Adele Esmat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um was translated by Caroline Christian Benson. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know her. Yeah. Um yeah, so that one um I think like she Caroline was already in the process of translating right. it. Yeah um and yeah but like hopefully like there there's I want to do uh some of the translation like some of the titles we have lined up I plan to do myself um and I also like definitely want to do like because so far there's there are like three male writers I want to do more uh women writers hopefully and yeah uh, we'll see uh, uh, where it goes like one of the things I um I would really uh um like one of the titles we have lined up is a book by um by a female writer called your Basim. oh you yeah, know her, right? yes, yeah and course. it's been out for years and years yes. and i'm just really surprised that no one's ever translated it because yeah she and i have talked about know, it and right i don't know yeah because i mean it's uh it just came out at a very like the time when that book came out I don't know like what, what how we would translate the title, but so you know, was like La Bande like or like rice pudding for two. Yeah. Uh
0: yeah. Oh, I think I think I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. It's from so, quite a while ago. It,
2: yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Mm. Yeah, but it came at a, it came out at a time where, you know, like people were were blogging and, you know, there was this sudden interest in this new forms these new forms of writing and it just, you know, created something at the time. It it, it was significant.
1: Right. And there so was also it, significant sort of I don't know, like literary establishment scorn too, like Exactly. Oh, these, what did she tell me somebody said, like, oh, these tissue, you know, these tissue novels, Kleenex, Exactly. Like, just blow your nose exactly. them and throw
0: it away.
2: But it said something about the moment, you know, uh, and the fact that it was published by Shiru, which is, right. you know, like a very big publishing house.
0: And is it written, it's written in colloquial or am I misremembering? So some of the other books that were based on blogs were like the language was like mostly colloquial. I would say like I haven't
2: read it in a very, very long time. I read it when it first came out. But I think it's a mixture of both,
1: okay. in a way. So, are you mostly focusing on Egyptian writers?
2: <laughs> not necessarily. I mean, Hossein is Sudanese, yeah. yeah. So, not necessarily. Mm. But so, it
1: it could be from anywhere.
2: Yeah, anywhere in the region. Mm. Yeah, like I'd love to. Um, I'd love to get more. But but this is the thing. I mean, like I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not even reading as much as I'd love to. So yeah, I'm. I'm mostly, you know, like. I read what I can but I also rely on uh, you know people recommending things or like uh, sending stuff over and so yeah so we'll see what happens but I'm definitely open to um, to re- to publishing stuff from uh, yeah from right the,
1: well you're from now in danger places. of getting like 6000 submissions from writers around the world <laughs> yeah that would be amazing I mean, yeah, now that you've been good. on Bulaha, you're going to be inundated. <laughs> no, I don't know, but I get 6,000 submissions mm-hmm. from writers around the world.
2: Well, No, but like your thing is, you know, like you're pioneering, you know, something. Like you're an actual, like Arab Lit is such a... Yeah, I've been... <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been, I'm fangirling on you. Because I've been oh. such a fan, you know, for such a long time. Well, I think it's, this, it's so great what you're doing. I at mean, this like,
1: symposium, it was very nice. embarrassing because yeah. uh, Nadira. Uh Mansoor was was she on the panel with me? Or mm-hmm. okay so she says I've been reading Arab Lit since I was a child. Yeah. Like what? I'm not am I that old? I guess I am that old. Well, whatever.
2: I wasn't a child but it was like <laughs> in the <laughs> but like definitely since my like very very early 20s, you know, like so and and it's been it was just very I mean I find out about certain titles uh, Arabic titles from your website. like I, I don't even like I hadn't even heard about them in Arabic but then they're there and there's an excerpt from them and it's it's just so great yeah and, and all the other material you publish mm. you know that.
0: Yeah no so now Marsha's just kind of descended into you know <laughs> modest silence (laughs) silence, but yes yes we all agree um that uh it it is it is indeed pioneering and a resource for like definitely all of us um but I mean and, and and so is Mada by the way and something like the translation series is is like yet another one of these endless examples in which it like always stretches itself in like some new direction um and and just keeps like trying things out in a way that I think is really rare for like any publication um and uh and so that is also somewhere like someone like me who's like you know reviews books and tries to kind of keep up and like you cannot at all read all the things that I that I want to will be like looking there to di- to discover new folks yeah
2: that's so great yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so hopefully we'll be able to do it, you know, consistently, and uh, you know, just feature um, diverse titles. And yeah, so it can be from anywhere in the in the region, but um, like anywhere, anything in Arabic, mm-hmm. basically. But uh, but it um, but something that's already been published in Arabic,
1: right? You know? Oh, so, so like a thing. book that's appeared, yeah, yeah, a that's appeared in, in
0: that. Arabic, but has mm-hmm. not yet been right. translated. So I would suggest partly because I have to catch an airplane <laughs> oh, this afternoon right. that we can we can take our mutual plans also to like continue expanding and and complementing each other, so especially <laughs> you guys, you guys, know each other's. I mean, complementing not in the sense of giving compliments, but being complementary, right. like uh, uh, being part of this ecosystem. Um, Off-off-offline now, maybe. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Makes
2: sense. Thank you so much for being part of this. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for hosting me. That was so great.
0: Mm. Yeah, it was great to meet you in person, and and we hope to do something like this again, and we hope to be in Cairo again soon, I I I think, both of us.
1: Yeah, so So if you would like to sponsor our trip to Cairo,
0: (laughs) please email. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.